Hello, I'm Alex Rutkeen. I'm a barrister at Thurston and Essex Chamber specialising in mental capacity law. And I'm really pleased to have with me today uh, Lorraine Curry, uh, who wears at least two, if not more, hats. But I think it's always much more interesting if the person I'm speaking to can introduce uh, themselves. So, Lorraine, over to you. Can you uh, tell us a bit about yourself, please? Okay, so um, I'm an MCA lead for a local authority in the West Midlands. Try to be guarded, but probably everybody knows where it is anyway. I um, chair various uh, DOLS things, so the West Midlands Regional Group, the National Group, and probably most of my experience now comes from supporting my daughter who had a brain injury in 2010. So I've learned more from the personal than I ever knew as a professional, and that now I think informs my professional life. So that's yeah. me. Brilliant, thank you. Well, actually, you mentioned your daughter and you mentioned the way it informs your professional life. I'd be really interested, and I think everybody listening to this would be really interesting to sort of think through what, well, maybe, maybe start with how did you think about the MCA before and how do you think about it now? Yeah, it's, it, it's quite scary, really, because I, I need to say that I absolutely love the MCA. So that might be a weird thing to say, but very early on when I qualified as a social worker, it, it attracted me and I absolutely love the, everything about it. I still think it's visionary. I still think it's a fantastic piece of legislation. And I think any of the deficits are due to us, really. <clears throat> not being creative enough in the way that we apply it. I think the framework's there. So I do love it. That's the important thing to say. Um, I think I possibly had a different approach before Grace's accident than I've had since. Because I had to question, why do I find myself rearing up, for want of a better expression, at the suggestion that she needs a professional deputy now for finances? And various other kind of automatic assumptions of a lack of capacity because of an injury and and so I found myself in a very different position where I'm thinking the old grace wouldn't have needed this why does the new grace automatically need it and I think that's kind of become my thing really that the the difference between assessing and assuming and the problems inherent in getting both of those options wrong. I don't know if that sentence makes sense, but you know, overly assessing or overly assuming, both of them carry dangers. And, and I became much more aware of the earlier bits, you know, getting supported decision-making right. For me, that's my life from start to finish. Uh, I was awake early this morning and I was immediately looking at some um, artist applications, how we can support Grace to do that. That's the first thing I think about in the morning and it's the last thing I think about at night. And it saddens me really that we don't always have the resources in adult social care to take the same approach that I'm able to take. I'm able to take it because I've kind of given my life to it really. Um, and that's to supporting Grace to look and to operate as independently as she can in the world, exercise all the autonomy that she's got within this sort of secret, silent, invisible framework of support. I don't want that support to be seen, but to get the balance between empowerment and protection right, we need to have both of those components, really. 
I don't know if I've answered that question or, or whether that was a sermon. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, it was incredibly profound, actually. It was an answer to the question and it was incredibly profound. And one of the things it was making me think was, I mean, that you were saying about the, the difficulty, perhaps, in adult social care of doing that. And, of course, you are doing it for your daughter, yeah. who you love. Yeah. And I wonder, one of the thoughts I was triggering is how, if love is such a part of it, and love to support her to be herself, not her to be, as it were, a mini Lorraine. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. I presume that must be an aspect of the yeah. support. Yeah. How one can engender, how one can help people who are not in that familiar relationship or, or that relationship of love to do that. Yeah. I mean, I think, again, there's two parts to it. I think a lot more um, can be done within communities and within families if they're given the tools to do that. But I also think that adult social care does need, to some extent, a rethink, because actually, if you invest up front, it's going to save you longer term. So if you are able to do programmes of support with people, chances are you're not going to be supporting them for the rest of their life, which they don't want or need and, and we don't want as a local authority. You know, I, I'm always saddened when I see young people that come through maybe children's services into adult who have never really been given skills, let's say around finances. And then there's this sort of certain moment in time where they're told, oh, you can do what you want now, you're an adult. And it's, you know, it's like putting a kid in a sweet shop, you know, mm -hmm. without anybody to stop them. Because then, then we get into the realm of somebody needs to assess capacity around finances. And that's what we jump to. But actually, why, why do we need to do that? What we need to do is say, what does this person know about budgeting? How can they learn what they need to learn? How can they learn to manage within their own capability? You know, my daughter can't read, she can't write, she can't recognize numbers. She can somehow still understand punctuation which I do not understand. If you t type a text for her, you can't get away without putting the full stops and the commas in the right places, even though she can't read it. But she can still kind of function with her own bank card. She can go shopping. She can do those kind of things because there is a program of support that facilitates that. And it's too easy to jump to the assessment of capacity, find them lacking, then we take over and then we've kind of got that role where we are the deputy forever or whatever the decision might be. Whereas actually if we invest in some proper programs to support people creatively, not restrictive and creative programs, then chances are we will find that people are much more capable and do have capacity to do those things themselves. It's that people are not very creative about the, what's the end result? Forget capacity and best interest for a minute. What's the end result? What are we actually looking for? And how can we get there in a different way? I mean, it's quite shocking, I suppose, I can reveal this to you and anybody else who's watching, that um, I've done a lot of training with Grace's PAs, but I haven't done mental capacity really. Because what I've done is supported decision making. Actually, I was going to ask, because I, I wonder, that's, that's fantastically interesting, because I wonder whether sometimes, possibly, some of it is if you can inadvertently frighten people, so the professionals, into thinking 
that, oh my goodness, now we're into mental capacity, this is how we have to do it. Whereas if you do the baby steps of helping them understand that actually what they're doing on a day-to-day basis is supporting someone with little micro decisions, and then you've got that to go, well, all you're doing is building that up very slightly into different things as opposed to going full on in with here is a program which is related to supported decision making here is a mental capacity you must do this and mentioning law which sounds odd as a lawyer but you know what i mean is i wonder whether some of it might be like that i think some of it is fear Um, one of the things i suppose that i try and battle now and it's so contra what you ought to be doing you know some of the things i battle is why are you doing a capacity assessment I had a conversation with somebody yesterday and it was quite specific, so I won't go into the detail, but it, it, my question to them was, what will the capacity assessment gain? Because this person is not going to, you can make every best interest decision in the world, they're not gonna play ball anyway. So let's look at how we can work with them to achieve what we need to achieve. Real, real social work actually. But they seem to be frightened now into the tick box of, have you done capacity and best interests? And I think, oh, you you know, it's so against those twin aims of empowerment and protection. Because if we don't have both, you know, we empower by our supported decision making. And if we find a need to protect, then we can move on into the other elements. Yes. I mean, I suppose part of it might be, I wonder, I mean, because I've been really interested, you, you a couple of times have talked about capability, you know, enhancing Grace's capabilities or the young person coming through and, and, and equipping with capability, <coughs> which is obviously a hugely important aspect. And it's interesting whether and how that sits with mental capacity to mm-hmm. make a decision, because it, at one level was you're almost talking about two different things. I agree. And I, I struggle with that because if I look at... Um, Grace's capability now, for example, she probably couldn't add five and three. You know, uh, she's got a, an A at a GCSE in maths, but now she couldn't do that very simple thing. So, as at a capability level, she's kind of ruled out of lots of things, and and I see that in it creeps into assessments of capacity. You know, um, particularly around finances, but where people are asked some really challenging mathematical problems so is that what it is because if i could find that i can't do something i might know someone who i can ask to help me with the bits where my actual intelligence is lacking but once i'm given that information in a way that i can understand if i can use and weigh it that's a very different test to me and i think we merge capability with mental capacity and create almost like either an IQ test, um, a test of how good you are at maths. Um, you know, the, the, well, we do all kinds of random things uh, with the best of intentions, I think. It's only if you look at a lot of capacity assessments, like I'm privileged to be able to do, that you can scream, you know, ah, you know that one of the best ones that I read was about a young man who put a sausage roll in a carrier bag with his new tracksuit. So that was evidence that he didn't appreciate the value of the tracksuit because he dropped a greasy sausage roll in the same bag. And you have to sit for about 10 minutes and think, where is the logic in that as, as evidence to why he can't use and weigh and therefore can't manage his finances? You know, there, there are some very odd conclusions that people come to, I think. 
Yes, no, absolutely. I suppose I was also thinking in a slightly different way that, that um, for instance, the young person who might, say a young person with mild learning disability, for instance, mm -hmm. who's come through children's services and is now entering adult services. And then one of the things is going on, you were saying, you know, now you're 18, effectively, you know, do whatever you want. Although mm -hmm. if you start doing things which are really worrying, we'll leap immediately to capacity assessment. Mm -hmm. Then, But part of it might be that if they've never had to make decisions like that, and, and I think that's one of the aspects where, and your, the scaffolding that you build around Grace to help her, is the way you wonderfully describe it elsewhere is the invisible scaffolding. Mm -hmm. You are building her capabilities by enabling her to do things. I mean, to, as it were, experience things and then do yeah. things. Yeah, and I, that, I, yeah it's, it's about not ruling the person out of their own life. Absolutely. I had a conversation yesterday about preparing for adulthood that actually this bizarre concept that you wake up at 16. A, another young man who um, his medication was controlled by staff given to him because he was a child. Certain day he said, oh, no, it's up to you now. You're an adult. You decide whether to take it. So none of the bit in between has gone on. Yeah. about Does he know what it's for? Does he know what will happen if he doesn't take it? We have to prepare people with cognitive impairment, learning disability across the spectrum for life in exactly the same way as we would prepare anyone else. You know, if we haven't taught them how to cross the road, how to cook, how to use money, how to have uh, wise and sensible relationships and interactions, it's no use doing a bit of sex education and saying, oh, there you go, you know, get on with it. If we've not done all of the other stuff that forms the framework, and we're letting them down then if we suddenly pitch in to assess capacity. You know, the framework's the essential bit. And, and it's a long, it's the long haul, really. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating, isn't it? And then I suppose one of the aspects is best interests. I mean, it, it, it's particularly cliff-edgy or, or challenging if best interests is, well, you're ours now, as it yeah. were. So we will then do it. But I mean, obviously there are, there are ways of thinking about best interests which are more nuanced than that and much more recognising that, yes, we currently don't think you've got the ability to make that decision, but we recognise that we've got, frankly, an ethical duty yeah. to try and empower and enable and to get you back to or to get you to the point where we'll hand back official decision-making control to you. Absolutely. I think that there's a great danger uh, in assessing capacity in that it appears to be a once and for all. Yep. And I will say to social workers, you can make a temporary decision because maybe right now they do not have capacity because we fail them. So make a temporary decision if you must, and then look at what program of support you're going to be able to put in so that when you return to this, they will have capacity. That there's something about having the confidence to do that. But also, I think if you get best interest right, the person doesn't really, this might sound odd, they don't even really need to know that you've found them to lack capacity because you're still giving uh, way to what they would have wanted to do. So the capacity and the best interest merge into being the person's will anyway. Does that make sense? So who's going to know? You know, I mean, I know there are obviously very complex, very challenging situations where we have to go to court with people and we have to, to intervene in some very serious ways. But the person's wishes are still the person's wishes. And then it's about looking at, OK, this is what they want. 
And, and, and for them, the same as I do, it's about what form of invisible scaffolding can get them to appear to enjoy what it is they want, whilst we are also confident that they're safe in doing that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, I, I mean, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think it, obviously, it carries with it as the sort of the lawyer in the, the virtual room. The challenge is that one side of the equation or one side of the, the thing, it is legally the person's own decision. Yeah. The other side, yeah. you've, the grown-ups, as it were, have taken the view that the person doesn't currently have capacity and are then operating in the best interest zone which carries with it certain connotations. And it's how you kind of, I mean, you can recognize all of that. And so long as you're clear as all of that, it doesn't matter as you say that the person in the middle doesn't know. It's just for accountability purposes as well. You do need to know which side of the line the person's on. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with you. There are, there are times when it's very clear and the decision maker needs to be identified, even though we, we can often get that wrong and think that we are automatically the decision maker, we being the local authority in this moment, we can, um, you know, I'm still, I, I'm health and welfare deputy for Grace, but each time I fill in my annual report, I say I haven't made a decision. Uh, I'm still waiting for them to say, well, why are you deputy then? Because I do think it's a really important role. Um, but, but my aim through being deputy is to support her to make her own decisions but I am aware that there may be or there may come a time when that line might have to be very clear that this is my decision that I'm the decision maker in this moment um, I would still want to achieve the same outcome for her but in terms of accountability yeah absolutely 100 percent yeah yeah we're sort of beginning sadly to draw close to the end of time because I would love to keep hearing from you um I wonder if there was I mean we one thing I'd be really interested just to get your final thoughts on is some of the language. We sort of talked about how to some extent some of the language doesn't, is all, ends up being unhelpful. I'd just like to get your take on whether you think the word assessment of capacity, determination of capacity, you know, for if, you're, if one, of you, one of your social workers comes to you and says, I've done this in relation to this person. Mm -hmm. Because I, one of the, I, just to frame it, one of the things which stresses me out is that people seem to have assessment of capacity as a sort of shorthand there in their own mind for finding the person doesn't have capacity. As opposed to, I am currently engaging my brain to think, does this person have capacity? Does this person not have capacity? And I'd just be really interested in your take on, well, frankly, if you can think of any other word we could use, because assessment has now got this, because if you talk about assessing capacity, it's preloading, I think, in so many situations. It, I, it's really go, I've got to go and find this person lacks. How do I record it? Which is not what legally it's meant to be at all. Usually, I think if you're being assessed for something, you're going to get something at the end of it. So if you're kind of being assessed in an adult social care sense, you're being, your needs are being assessed so that you can get something to meet your needs. If you're being assessed around mental capacity, you stand to lose an awful lot. That's the kind of connotation and the feeling that I get, which is why I suppose I'm real against it in my personal life as opposed to in my professional life. I do think it is often about we have to determine this line in order to protect ourselves as uh, maybe local authorities or whoever we are. Uh, I think that's very sad. I think it needs to be 
more it, funnily enough this was the conversation we had yesterday you're not going to gain anything from an assessment sitting down questioning that kind of spotlight you know uh, you're you're in the dock sort of thing much better to be slowly building up a rapport with the person and during that period you are still logging as a professional whether they understood have they retained elements of that conversation from yesterday to next week to the other time are they actually so this is the key to a lot of it putting into practice are they able to use and weigh it can they give you great answers but immediately do the opposite and and you may not be getting that information from that person and that's the difficulty with thinking of an assessment it's really it means interrogation i interrogate them but i don't look anywhere else for evidence supporting or otherwise you know grace could give you 10 different answers in in 10 minutes to questions you got to live it you know and you i know we can't all live it as professionals but there's much more to that determination of capacity or lack of than a, an interaction between two people yeah i don't know if there is a better word maybe that's a challenge for you and i and anybody who listens to this what is a better word than assessment yeah well i think we'll, we'll leave it there for people to challenge and then feel free please to, to let us know because i mean apart from anything else it can then feed into the next iteration of the mental capacity act code of practice which when we as we're recording this in june 2020 is going to be with us at some point we just don't yeah. quite know when but it's that is an opportunity to then for people then to be able to have something to look at to guide them and if there's a language in there which doesn't as you say preload assessment to equal effectively interrogation it's mm -hmm. assessment as in the process of continuously thinking engaging using all the relevant information to the point when you've got enough information to make the decision you know do i think this person has a lack of capacity on the balance of probabilities and it's how you as you say how you encompass that ongoing engagement not you know Rabbit and headlights. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Lorraine. As I said, I could listen to you all day, but I have made a sort of mental promise to myself to try and keep these to kind of sort of 20 minutes for people who are busy trying to do all, all the other multiple things they're trying to do. So thank you Great. very much indeed. Thank you. Thanks, Alex.